Well, welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Mr. Adam Griffin, and he has co-written a book with Matt Chandler called Family Discipleship. And because of our topic today, um, I'm also joined by my coworker, Mr. James Davenport. What's up, Vine? <laughs> and so um, we're really looking forward to having a great conversation with Adam. So Adam, man, thanks for joining us. And it's really a privilege to, to meet you and get to know you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, your family, anything else you want to share? Yeah, well, the privilege is all mine. I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning, The Vine. Uh, I live in Dallas, Texas, but Wisconsin is where I would call home. I grew up there until I was 23, and Madison holds a special place in my no heart, way. but I uh, spent most of my life around Milwaukee. But uh, okay. as most Milwaukeeans probably go through, once you hit college, you end up in Madison for a little bit, no matter what. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't ever go to college at Madison, but I did uh, spend some time there recreating on State Street when I was in college. And uh, <laughs> not my proudest moments, sure. uh, but the Lord redeems, the Lord forgives. Yep. And uh, I'm 20 years removed from Wisconsin, but still love it up there. I live here in Dallas with my wife, Chelsea, who's a labor and delivery nurse, and my three sons, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore, who are nine, seven, and five. And I'm a pastor at a church uh, with a passion for our city, for Dallas, and uh, a passion for our families and my family in particular. I love being my wife's husband. I love being my kid's dad, and I love being my church's pastor. Uh, I'm uh, really optimistic about the future, but the Lord has already been so faithful in what he's already brought me through. So loving life here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about your church and the church that you pastor. Yeah, my church, it sounds uh, similar to yours demographically. Our church is um, young, very young. I would think our median age is probably around 27. Uh, we planted about two years ago. There, uh, The Lord's been very generous to us, even in the midst of COVID, as far as just the energy, the momentum for the mission we're on here. And so it's a lot of young professionals, a lot of young families, I'm on the, I'm 41 and I'm very much on the old end in my congregation. Uh, I'm not the oldest by any means, but I bring up our average age. Uh, our church uh, is in East Dallas, which is a lot of young professionals, a lot of young families, a lot of refugees from all over the world, and just a lot of people from different parts of the country that end up moving to Dallas to, to work. And so just have this cool confluence of different groups of people all kind of following God together. And I, I love it. That's awesome. So real quick, I love to ask this on every uh, podcast. Um, just tell us your testimony. We just love to get to know how you came to know Christ and how you um, just, yeah, how the Lord saved you in that process. I think it's just good for people at our church just to hear about conversion. And I uh, sure. would love to hear your story. Oh, thanks for asking for it, Zach. I, uh, like I said, I grew up in Wisconsin. My, my parents, uh, my dad is a Lutheran pastor, still is, or just recently retired. They live in Green Bay. And um, so I grew up a diehard Packers fan, by the way. So if you want me to talk about my conversion to Packers fandom, I could talk about that as well. <laughs> that would but be I'm awesome. A, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a part owner of the Packers, which has worked out well in Dallas. We've had some good games down here. Um, but uh, my family... I grew up in church every Sunday. Uh, Don't remember a day where I didn't hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't remember a day 
where my parents weren't, uh, that my house wasn't like uh, driven thickly by what has God called us to. And yet at the same time, uh, if you talk to any of my elementary school, middle school, high school teachers, they would tell you I was an extremely mischievous child. Uh, while I had a conscience, I had lines I would draw, I, I always rebelled against authority. Now, my parents, my teachers, uh, a lot of my teachers and classmates, if you told them I was pastoring and writing a book about fatherhood and Christianity, I mean, I'm sure they'd be shocked. It's, uh, it's part of the reason I can pastor in Dallas and have a hard time maybe pastoring in Wisconsin is I just did not uh, grow up as the most obedient, faithful child. And so while I knew Christ and uh, I knew the gospel, I was not a, a man known for my own integrity. And that lasted, uh, I mean, I have, I've had incredible mentors in my life and, and walked with the Lord very closely. But a lot of my life, honestly, Zach, was duplicitous, was I could lead in ministry and at the same time be okay in my conscience with being a totally different man at night or with groups of friends who did not know the Lord. Wow. And so the Lord redeemed that in me in my early 20s and uh, changed my heart towards him in some significant ways, gave me some great mentors. And yes, he gave me godly parents as well. My my parents are, are people of prayer and um, brought me out of the darkness and into the light in, in a way by revealing himself as uh, specifically in the verse in first John, where it, it reminds us that God is love. And if, if you don't know love, then you don't know God and realizing that so, so much of my life was love of self. And I didn't know the God who was love of others was love outside. And, and the Lord softened my heart in that I went from a hard hearted, soft conscience to a man who was uh, softened towards the feelings of others, grew in empathy. And now that's my prayer for my own kids is that the Lord would not only do that, but do that in them young and spare them from a lot of the mischievous rebellion that I walked through uh, in my uh, teenage and younger days. Yeah, oh, man, it's so good to hear about that. Well, let's dive into your book a little bit. Um, how did you... Like just real, like big picture. Like, how did you even come come up with, man? I want to write a book on family discipleship. Like, what's that journey like? And uh, just bring us, you know, behind the curtain a little bit. That's great. Well, um, to bring you up to speed from my testimony, I did like six years of student ministry and love working with teenagers. I taught in public schools for three years, and then took over family ministry at the Village Church here in Dallas uh, with my co-author Matt Chandler. He's the lead pastor there at the time, and he and I had known each other since 2003. Probably we both moved to Flower Mound around the same time, and um, uh, as overseeing Next Gen Ministry is what we call it, overseeing our family ministry. We were trying to determine how can you uh, equip parents with uh, vocabulary to say, this is what you should expect from your church, and this is what God expects of you as a parent when it comes to spiritual leadership. So we came up with a framework uh, of time, moments, and milestones to kind of explain and help build around what is each family's expectation for spiritual leadership. And that was so, um, man, it, it had great inroads in the families of the churches that we were leading. It was really helpful. It was great language. And then as we looked around at resources that existed, there are great resources to accomplish 
discipleship. Like there are great family Bibles and there's great devotionals and there's great music albums, but we didn't really see anything that was saying like, here's, here's how to think about the whole plan. Here's how to make a plan. And if you don't have a plan as a family, then, then how do you use all these resources that all these churches create and all these people are publishing? And so we felt like uh, between our relationship with Crossway, we had the opportunity to uh, put out the plan that we were using in a way that helped families. And it's really popular right now. And I'm sure you guys see this, that people will put out a book that's philosophical. And then if you like the book's philosophy, then you can also buy the study guide and you can buy the, the DVD series or watch it on right now media. And there's a video to go with it. And we just said, man, what if we just put everything out there made it a super practical and philosophical, but short book about something that would help people uh, plan. It, it's like this, Zach, you, I bet in your church, this is probably true. When somebody gets engaged there, it's probably traditional or expected that somebody goes through premarital counseling. Right. Yep. Would you guys yep. do something? Yep, for sure. Yeah. So it's very common in Christian churches to do that. But when somebody gets pregnant and finds out they're about to become a parent, or when somebody goes through the adoption process and finds out they're about to adopt and become a parent, we don't have the same Christian tradition of saying, so here, let us equip you on some of the difficult questions you're going to face on how do we spiritually raise and parent another human life. And so there's tons of books out there that help you think through, you're about to get married. We wanted to create a resource that we felt like was missing in, hey, you're a parent now. What does it look like to parent in the way God has called you to? And so that was the impetus of the book, something small enough, optimistic enough, encouraging enough to make it accessible and demystify things, but practical enough to say, this is hopefully just going to help you and get on the same page with your spouse or your community group or your church and what it looks like to lead spiritually. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. I agreed. Yeah, I, I read through the book and um, I just loved it for that very reason that you expressed. It's it's very practical, um, but also so insightful in providing that language of what is what is what should we expect our, our families, myself as a father, um, as I lead my family. Um, I would love to ask you just um, maybe just even just laying out like biblical framework or foundation of like um, why is this a big deal? Why why do parents why why does God or what is God's calling for for parents as as we think about families? Yeah, you know when we define family discipleship in the book, we talk about it as like a critically important but mostly ordinary call of God. It is critically important because it's something God asks us to do. So right there, even if He doesn't give us explanation, you think of like Abraham and Isaac. He tells them, "Hey, you're going to go sacrifice your child." You go, "Well, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't seem right." But if God asked me to do it, I guess I got to do it, man. It's it's what he asked me to do. It's That's what faith is, is saying, if God asked me to do it, it's important. So that's critically important. Two, God is worthy of our worship. So he is worthy of it. Therefore, it's important. He deserves it. He deserves my family's full attention. And in fact, I believe that so strongly that anything else I build my life around, anything I build my family around, if my family's built around academics, if my family is built around achievement in sports or in music, if my family is built around uh, just uh, being admirable or handsome or beautiful or talented, all of those things are going to fall short of what the Lord has called me to, which is building my life around something that is eternal and right and good in him and in his gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's critically important because he's asked it of us and he deserves it. And so the reason the family discipleship to me is so important is uh, that it's so clear in the Bible that that's what parenting is supposed to be. The, the book doesn't, uh, the Bible doesn't give a ton of 
parenting advice like we read in other books today about sleeping patterns or about how to discipline in different circumstances or about birth order or about uh, psychology of your kids or love language of your kids. But over and over and over again, uh, the Bible points out that your role is to teach the things that you have been given from God to your kids. And I'm a strong believer that one of the best parenting verses in the Bible is the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. And I believe that includes the disciples who are living in your home. It's not just to have exterior mindset, but to be thinking about how am I teaching my kids to obey everything that Christ commanded and everything he taught? That's the responsibility of every disciple-making parent. Yeah, I, I can I can just imagine like, um, you know, everybody at our church is you know, teachable and they want to grow in, in being able to do what you're saying in a way that's glorifying to God and, and disciples kids. But I can anticipate the question, okay, Adam, I hear you and I nod my head. Yes, but man, help me, help me figure this out. I don't know how, like I've never had a three-year-old that won't sit still or a five-year-old that just won't pay attention. And you know, especially those little years, what does it look like to do family worship or to do family discipleship in a way that's intentional, but also doable? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a part of it is it's like what you're talking about, Zach, you got to change your expectations from if, if you think family worship in anybody's home looks like all the kids eagerly anticipating everything dad or mom has to say like and just the, begging for more. Like the Van Trapp family in The Sound of Music. <laughs> yes, they're just <laughs> kind of humming along, singing harmonies and walking <laughs> through life and high-fiving about how great it is to be a family of integrity and let's all make dinner together and do our chores. That That's nobody's family. Uh, and as much as uh, what you just pointed out is it's not easy to be a parent, it's also not easy to be a kid. Uh, the expectations we put on our kids, the anxiety their kids are driven by these days. It's not easy to be a kid. And every kid is different. Every family is different. Every parent is gifted differently. And so there's not a one size fits all. Here's exactly what family worship needs to look like. Somebody out there may say, hey, singing with my family is super easy. Some dad out there may be going, don't ask me to sing. Absolutely never. I will never sing in public or in front of my family or in private. And that's understandable. I get it. I, I'm a huge advocate for sing anyway. It doesn't matter how good they make a joyful noise, whatever it is. Like it, it can be very simple, but the thing is to change your expectations to go, Hey, it doesn't have to be a 10 minute sermon. It might be a, a, a two minute question, you know, to ask good questions of our kids to, even as your kids get older to ask them, what questions do you have about God? Can, can mom and dad help you explore that together is a great form of family discipleship or to use some of the resources we have. What we talked about in the book is building a, around a framework that fits any family. And so no matter what age your kids are, uh, having some appointed times to say, this is when our family is going to talk about God, or this is when our family is going to go to church together, or this is when our family is going to read something together. And then having what we call moments, which is just leveraging opportunities throughout the day. Uh, it, every parent disciplines their kid, whether they're three-year-old or a 13-year-old. You have times where you're saying, hey, what you've done, uh, we consider wrong. And, and we're saying, use those opportunities to leverage them for gospel conversations, to infuse them with scripture, not to twist the word of God in order to get your way or, or to abuse the word of God to say, mom's right, you're wrong. 
But to use the word of God in, in helping your kid understand why we believe what we believe about why we behave the way we behave and what we believe about forgiveness and grace and repentance and how mom and dad are also imperfect and how we are not perfect models. And so we too will try to show you how an imperfect person follows God while you watch me do it. And then we also talk about milestones, celebrating or commemorating kind of the, the biggest and the brightest and the, the, the darkest and the lowest times in a kid's life to remind them that God is faithful no matter what's happening. And so while every family's different, every kid's different, and some kids will be hyperactive, some kids will be very resistant, but we're talking about being persistent in anything. I'll say one more thing. I know I'm kind of rambling, but Zach, you know that uh, any subject we would want to teach our kids, we would not give up on as easily as people often do in their spiritual life. If if our kids said, I don't like math, we would say, you know what? I'll just talk to your math teacher and let them know we're not going to do math anymore. You're, you're too hyperactive. Right. Yeah. You're too disinterested. That doesn't fly. Um, you know what? I'm going to call your PE teacher and let them know we're not going to do PE anymore. We're not going to do history anymore. We're not gonna... But when it comes to our spiritual life, we'd be like, well, my kid, he just won't sit still. Or my kid, he's just resistant. Or he won't listen to me. I go, listen, there, there are a million things you teach your kid. And a lot of them are things your kid's not going to like. This is the most important one. So why is it the quickest one we give up on? Sometimes it's because it's the easiest one for us to feel shame in because it's so important and maybe we haven't seen it. And so walking with the mindset of the expectation, I am not expected to be perfect here. I'm expected to be faithful, but I'm not going to uh, compromise this by saying it's not as important as it actually is. Amen. Man, preach that. That's really, really good. I wonder if it'd be helpful just for the three of us to just to share um, just for the sake of like best practices or just ideas, like what you actually do with your kids and, and your family when it comes to family discipleship or family worship. And, and I can just start. Um, so for us, ever since, you know, I've got four kids, 18, 16, uh, almost 14 and 12. Um, we've just, we have a huddle up time, you know, and we've been doing this since they were little before bed. Um, and when they were little, it looked different. Um, now it's a little harder because of uh, teenagers and their schedules. Um, so, you know, it's a little more hit or miss. When they're little, it was very consistent. You know, it was teeth, potty, jammies, you know, and then we huddle up and I would read something um, age appropriate, uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, or we would read, uh, you know, something that, you know, we just read out loud that isn't necessarily family discipleship, but, you know, some people would say that J.R. Tolkien is discipleship, but, uh, <laughs> or, or Chronicles of Narnia, or, yeah. you know, we've, we've read books about missionaries. Um, we've read, yeah. And then we uh, do like um, a, a rhythm of thankfulness. So what's the one thing you're thankful for today? Uh, sometimes we'll do not quite as frequently, uh, just encouragements. So you have to pick somebody in the family and just give them an encouragement. And then we pray. So we always pray no matter what we're doing. We're just, I'll lead us in prayer. One of the kids will lead in prayer. Mom will lead in prayer. Um, and sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's two minutes, you know? Um, but we've just like, we're going to huddle up and we're going to at minimum pray sometimes more than that. Usually at minimum, say something you're thankful for. Um, so that's just what we've done for, you know, 15 years now about. What about you I guys? love it. Yeah, so I got littles, um, newborn, and then two-year-old and five-year-old. 
Um, so we're, we're just kind of beginning, you know, carving out our rhythms, um, as a lot of young families here, at our church. So, um, I've really appreciated, man, I ate up your guys' book. I really appreciate just the language that you put on it. Uh, and it's been so helpful for us, uh, just in this past year to begin laying down like, okay, family discipleship time. What is that looking like for us as a family? Um, and so, yeah, we um, lately we've just been doing New City Catechisms, uh, a question a week, and just trying to um, ingrain that into our children. And Lucy, my five-year-old, just continues to impress me with her ability to memorize. Like, <laughs> me, Dad, is like, what was the question answer? But, like, she can just rapid-fire it off. Um, and so that's been good. We've, all, we've always sung and prayed uh, at nighttime uh, as well. Uh, and... You know, I think just these categories of family discipleship moments and milestones are, uh, I'm eager to hear more from you and, and kind of um, how that has, has looked in your family. Um, but, I, you know, as a, as a young parent, like, man, just always tired, right? <laughs> and so, like, this idea of, like, leveraging moments, like, I love it, but it's also, like, tiring of, like, I'm going to slow down and, like, talk through this idea with my child well I love it and I think it's maybe some of the most foundational and most uh, important conversations we've had um, with our especially our five-year-old um, I'm just talking about who God is or the character or the attributes of, of God and recognizing just an everyday life um, it's also really tiring as well and, and just milestones like we're trying to uh, like Lucy uh, professed Christ uh, last year about this time about a couple weeks ago and so we had a you know a big celebration for her of just like recognizing God's faithfulness and um, revealing who he is uh, to her. And so would love to hear more of how you guys frame up milestones too. Um, th- that seems to maybe be the one category that I may have a little bit less idea of how to celebrate some of those things. Um, but certainly we're growing in, in some of those rhythms of, as you guys provide some of that language of um, time moments, milestones. That's great. Yeah. In my family, I'm, I'm still an uh, elementary age kid. So we, every night at bedtime, we are, uh, read, praying, singing, you know, we're reading something from the Bible when they were little. I just read to them. Now they're old enough. Sometimes I have them read. I used to do something where I'd try to sneak in something silly and see if they could catch it. You know, now, now I almost do it like fill in the blank where I'll read a story and I'll say, you know, I'll read the first part of the sentence and see if my kids can finish the second part of the sentence. And my kids are so impressive. I mean, you know, they're sponges. They, they memorize uh, just by listening. And so they're, they're killing it in that. And then we, we pray and we share who's going to pray and, and who's, uh, how are we praying? Or, uh, sometimes we all hold hands. Sometimes we take prayer requests. Sometimes it's, what are you thankful for? Like you said, Zach, I think that's so good. And then we sing a song and then each one of my kids, I have a, a life verse for them. And so when I give them a hug and say, good night, I say their life verse for them. And my oldest, I'll say beyond the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man to be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. And then I love you, buddy. Good night. And, just kind of say a blessing over them and, and send them off to bed. And then, uh, man, moments are all the time for us. You know, we're driving in the car every day when I drop them off for school, I pray for them as I drop them off. And, and some of that is kind of preachy prayer. It's like, these are the things I we've talked about before. It's what I want for you today is I'm, I'm dropping you off. And sometimes it's just, you know, inviting uh, the Lord to be a part of their school day and take care of their mom while she's at work or their dad while he's at work. And we do that every day, but 
my kids are all into, uh, man, a couple of things, Legos, Star Wars, uh, Dude Perfect right now. And so Dude Perfect makes it easy to go, man, these guys are Christians who live in Dallas, who go to local churches near us. And so talking about, man, what, how do these men follow the Lord when what they do is throw basketballs in the hoops from large distances? Like, look, you can do anything and, and pursue the Lord. Or when we're watching Star Wars or watching, uh, you know, Ryan, the last dragon or whatever movie it is, we pull out, what are the gospel themes? What's true about that? And what's not true about that? And you know, this uh, Raya movie that just came out, it's a movie about trust and about how people betray you. And at the same time, there's something dark in the world. And so it's not Christian, but we still try to like use leverage the moment to say like, what, what is true and what is not true about that to help them disciple them as they're going to go through all the cultural influences they face. And then milestones, my kids are young, but my oldest, we went through a baptism class this last week. We're talking through whether or not he's ready to get baptized because he has prayed to receive Christ. And and we want to, you know, talk to them about the genuineness of what it means to follow God. And baptism would be a big milestone. But in the meantime, I have, uh, I, I said this in the book, I have a journal Bible for each one of my boys that I write in these journal Bibles, read through them chapter by chapter with the hopes that one day at kind of a rite of passage milestone, they'll receive a Bible that their dad read through for them. And so even though uh, even when they were infants, I was working on that. You know, they're they're not even talking it and working on uh, building a milestone. Or we have a, a kind of a keepsake box as well that I put little notes in there and things for them from stuff we've done that one day, you know, this is a milestone for family. It's almost like a, a ever building time capsule for the Griffin family. And that's beautiful. I, I love what you said about training your kids. And the, the way I say it is like to think theologically about the world. Don't be yeah. a passive receiver, but be thinking through a biblical lens. Okay, there's this message on a billboard. There's this message in a movie. There's this message that I'm hearing from uh, neighbors in various forms. And how can I not just receive that, but actually think about that theologically or think about that biblically? And so, man, that's like the, that's like the life on life as you go on your way kind of discipleship that I think is so powerful beyond um, the, the structured intentional, you know, it's never going to be less than the structured intentional, but oftentimes it's those spontaneous moments of like, we watched frozen. Okay. There's some powerful messages in the movie frozen. And some of them might actually be quite biblical when it comes to sacrifice or something. And some of them might not be, and man, let's turn off the TV or, and, and talk about that. And in age appropriate ways, of course, but man, I love, I love that. And I really want to, we've tried to do that in our family. Um, probably not as much as, as, uh, as I would like, but I think that's so important just to model for our kids. Here's how mom and dad are thinking this through. And let me try to draw you out and bring you into how mom and dad walk with the Lord as we think about um, the culture around us or the messages that are, are, are sent. And so, man, I love, I love that a lot, you know. It's great. Yeah. So let me ask this. Um, we are persuaded of uh, complementarity in the home, uh, biblically. And I'm thinking of a scenario. And for those of you that don't know what that means, what, what I mean is we believe that um, fathers should lead out in the spiritual care and initiation of, of the discipleship of their family. Now, there's a lot more we could say about that when it comes to the details, of course. But I've got a scenario in mind, Adam, of maybe a, a dad who's a new believer 
um, a dad who's a new parent. And he's just going, man, I don't, this sounds intimidating. This is hard. Um, I can barely pray out loud. I, I can barely, you know, understand the Bible. And I got kids and I'm supposed to lead out in discipling them. Or another scenario where a guy might just feel like, well, I'll just punt to my wife because she's way more spiritually mature than I am. And, uh, and she's sharper than I am theologically. And, you know, those kind of scenarios I know are not new to anybody who's pastoring in a church. Um, how would you speak into situations like that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think a lot of people, whether they're a new Christian or not, feel the insufficiency of leadership in their heart and feel like, uh, especially for men that I feel like where they look at their wife and feel like they, their wife is outpacing them in spiritual maturity, uh, which is not an uncommon experience. They're going, well, how do I lead? But it, it's a misunderstanding of scripture to think that leading uh, for the Christian means being the person who knows all the right answers and does all the right things. Leading, uh, what Christ draws a picture of leading is not lording in authority over others, uh, but rather serving. And so what does it look like to serve the needs of your family is what it means to lead your family. And so you can, you can lead by being one step ahead of your family. When you're going on a, like I went on a hike in the mountains last year and our guide is right in front of me. He's not, he doesn't stand at the top of the mountain and say up here, you know, just get up here. He's right in front of me. And so to lead your family does not mean you've theologically arrived, you, you've read the whole Bible and understand every concept, and so now you're going to stand at the end of the Bible and say, family, just follow me here. It can mean, hey, I'm reading this with you guys, not, not for you guys. I'm reading it with you guys. And I'm not just reading it to you guys. I'm reading it with you. So here we go. Let's read it, and I'm going to ask a question, but maybe dad's thinking of his answer at the same time you're thinking about yours. Or uh, maybe it's leading out of what the Lord is teaching me right now. Maybe it was Zach's sermon at the vine this weekend. And that's, that's where dad's at. And so that's what he's going to lead out of. And it's serving. It's not always, uh, teaching is not lecturing. Uh, that's telling, you know, if you're just sitting around, I talk about that in the book, the difference between teaching and telling is profound. Our culture thinks teaching is, is tell. I told you guys, therefore you should have learned it. But teaching is, is kind of grappling with a subject. It's, it's wrestling with a question. And so for the dad who feels less than confident to feel, to feel, uh, to feel confident in your leadership doesn't require you being an expert. It requires you being a servant and it requires humility to say, um, to your wife, to initiate the question of what do you think this could look like? And for her to uh, submit to your leadership is not saying she does nothing and expects you to do all, but rather you're asking her, her opinions, her thoughts, and about what it would take to serve your family well, knowing the kids that the Lord gave you, knowing the gifts that he's given you, and being able to say, okay, if I don't know much about the word of God, then I'm going to be the one who's learning this with our kids. Hey, that's okay. It's great. Let's start in the book of John. Let's read chapter one. What questions come up for you, dad? Because you, you don't, you don't know what you think here either. And there's tons of resources out there, New City Catechism included, where you can say, what if we just memorized for a while what's true? And that's okay too. Yeah, that's that's really, really beautiful. Yeah, I appreciate that. What what would you what would you say to just um, you know, the young family who, you know, life is full, both parents work. Um, this idea of family discipleship just seems crushing of like, we're adding (laughs) another thing of the church is saying, this should be a part of your life too. And I'm already doing all I can do to survive, you know, to, to get to bed. Like my goal is 
bedtime, right? Um, and then I can, you know, fall on the couch and <laughs> be done. Like, what would what would you say to that? I mean, that's a large part of our, you know, makeup of as a church. It's just these young families with energetic little toddlers. Yeah, for sure. I'd say two things. One, let's make sure that it's the right place in our priority list, following God. Uh, there's there's no parent that would say, I'm too busy to feed my kids, or I'm too busy to make sure my kids have clothes, or I'm too busy to make sure that my kids have a home to live in. We'd all say, no, that's that's why I'm busy, is to, to provide these things. I want my kids to have food. I want them to have friends. I want them to have an education. I want them to have clothes. So so if we put spiritual life as like it's got to fall so far down the priority list, we don't have time, then we're putting it in the wrong place. And I'm not saying that we're saying, hey, you're just constantly just uh, in Bible study altogether. I'm saying your following of your God is more important than any other sus- sustaining work that you do. And so with the, the Lord actually compares it to those things all the time where he compares following him to eating. He compares following him to being clothed. He compares following him to being uh, educated. He compares following him to being in refuge and being on a firm foundation. He, he compares it to all those things and say, this is, this is important. So let's first say it's, it's, it's at the top of our priority list. And then secondly, to pursue God together as a family does not necessarily mean adding a bunch of new things to your schedule. It means weaving into what you're already doing ways of following God. If your family is already uh, having dinner together, if your family is already driving to the game together, your family is already uh, going to bed at the same time or at the house in the evening, your family is already has these cross sections. It's how do we take the time our family already has together in order to dedicate it to the gospel, to remind us what's true and to prevent us from wandering from those things. Now, it may take sacrificing some schedule things in order to prioritize time with the Lord. Absolutely. It may take dad turning off his email, shutting off his cell phone and looking at the kids who are right in front of him. And you know what? That's going to be worth it. If if in order to justify never being with my kids, we say it's in order to provide for my kids that I'm never with them, then we're depriving them of what we're promising them. You know, if you're promising them this family who cares for them, you're saying in order to do that, I just won't be around. Man, that makes no sense. It's actually a working against our goal. So turning off the things that distract us so that we give our full attention to what's important and understanding where it lands on the priority list. But we don't have to feel the stress of, I'm already too busy. It's like, oh, okay, you're busy. But do you ever see your kids? Are you ever in the same place as your kids? Then how do we leverage those times? You know, it's, it's grocery shopping. It's doing the laundry together. It's, uh, it's commuting. It's uh, what are the times you're with your kids? And if you're never with your kids, that probably is a problem. Yeah, I love, I love that. Just the intentional weaving of everyday life of what you're already doing and finding those cross sections. That's so good. You spend um, kind of initially in your book, I'd love to hear you kind of unpack it a little bit more just um, before we get into time moments and milestones, just this chapter on modeling. Um, can you just articulate what do you mean by modeling? Why is that such a big deal? And why is that foundational to leading into these time moments and milestones? Yeah, modeling is an especially important idea in family discipleship because I I don't want anybody to think we're asking a parent to fake a version of spirituality for their kid, to say, let your kids see a perfect parent. Uh, Your kids are not going to grow up to be perfect Christians. They're not going to grow up to be perfect people. And so what they don't need from you is a perfect example. They need from you the, the honest, imperfect example of how an imperfect person follows a perfect God. So that means uh, in order for you to lead your kids to follow Christ, what our our desire is altogether, including Matt and I, and I'm sure you guys, 
is that you would have genuine relationship with God yourself first, that you would, uh, like Deuteronomy 4 says, be diligent in the care of your own soul and then communicate these things to your children. So we want you to be diligent in the care of your own soul and then repent where you fall short. So where you see yourself making mistakes, it's not to feel shame and guilt or try to hide that from your kids, but rather to be the first one to demonstrate to them how an honest Christian repents, admits mistakes, and pursues sanctification. So modeling is kind of a baseline idea of first, you remember you're, you're not a father and mother first, you're a son and daughter of the Lord first. And your prayer for your kids is not that they grow up to admire you, it's, it's to grow up that they follow Christ. And so it's okay for them to see your imperfections uh, as long as they're also seeing your repentant heart. Yeah, I have a deep conviction that one of the most powerful ways to disciple our kids is to see mom and dad practice repentance. Yes, like, absolutely. Because that's the heart of the, of the Christian walk. It's repent and believe. And if all they yeah. hear is just teach, repent, and believe, but they never see it in practice, you know, are they really going to be persuaded that this thing is real? Yeah. And man, like just honestly, like I, I've said to my kids before, um, you know, mom, mom and I had a conflict and I had to apologize to her and ask for her forgiveness, you know, and talk about that with the kids or yes. sometimes even do that in real time when the kids are present, you know, because the kids are they're always dialed in and they're always paying attention even when you don't think they are, you know, yeah. and um, I just I just really want to amen that modeling piece when it comes to repentance because that models humility and humility is so close to the heart of the cross um that i just i feel like that's that's sometimes missing there's a hypocrisy that's at stake if yeah. we are just all hey we go to church and you we do all this stuff but it's never actually seen and caught not just taught in in the home yeah yeah it's a it's hypocrisy is the right word because if what we're expecting is our kids to demonstrate a version of Christianity that includes apologizing and repenting, which every parent does, but we never demonstrate that for them. What we're saying is when you're in charge, you don't have to apologize. When you're in charge, you don't make mistakes because you're, you're in charge, which that's not the reality. Every person is a person under authority and every person is a person who humbly needs to repent where we see mistakes. And so, uh, man, hypocrisy in parenting is so common and it's sometimes comical. Like how many parents do you hear complaining about how whiny their kids are? You're like, so you're whining about how whiny they are? Or you're <laughs> like, how, how many times have you like raised your voice to get quiet in your house? Just be quiet. And you're like, well, you're demonstrating a, a loud, uh, you're going, we, we don't yell in this house. You know, like, okay, well, you're yelling. And the same is true in every way when it comes to repentance saying like, if I want my kids to apologize, I want to demonstrate that for them. And apology obviously is, is just a shallow version of what we actually want, which is repentance of saying, I've recognized where I've wronged. I want to change. And so I'm going to say, this is a sin against my God and against you, my son or daughter. And so I want you to forgive your mom or dad. Can you do that? Can you forgive me? And mm -hmm. that honest conversation makes such a difference in a kid's life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I love how you guys put it in the book, too. If, if you want to see a godly attribute developed in your child, first pray it for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love that line. I don't know if you want to expound on that. but Yeah, I, I think particularly the easy way to think about it by example is the fruit of the Spirit, right? If I want kids who are joyful, I want kids who are patient, I want kids who are gentle, then understanding that my 
my example, my modeling has a huge impact on my kids. And I'll pray to the Lord, Lord, I want patient kids. Help me be a patient dad. Lord, I want kids that are gentle. Help me be a gentle father. Lord, I want kids that are kind. Lord, help me be kind. Because I want to demonstrate for my kids what it looks like to be a man who walks not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And so if my kids grow up and their definition of kindness is based on Daniel Tiger as opposed to their father, man, it's, it's, it's loose roots. You know, if they grow up and they go, man, it's, I learned from Ninja Turtles about how to work together as a team versus my mom and dad. You're like, no, I want the family and the, that's rooted in the scripture to be the basis of the lessons they learn. That means I'm praying for that same development for myself. Yeah, that's so good, Adam. I'm thinking of the person maybe at my stage in parenting or maybe a little older uh, whose kids are, you know, rapidly emerging into adulthood. And even for me, you know, I got an 18-year-old and he's going to move out in September. And you're thinking, whoa, like we had our 18 years and we had our shot. Like, did we accomplish what we needed to accomplish? I mean, did we do the things that we wanted to do? And were we effective with family discipleship? I can just imagine some folks in my stage read your book or hear this podcast and they're just, they just have a guilty conscience. Like I just blew it. And um, can you speak into that? Yeah, absolutely. Number one, it's, it's never too late. Uh, We could all affirm that. It's never too late to start trying to disciple your kids or to uh, some, sometimes the best step is what we were just talking about is repenting and saying to your own kids, Hey, mom and dad, we're sorry. We weren't doing this before. We're sorry. We didn't tell you about this earlier or that we weren't practicing this together as a family. And in many ways, it's like, it's a little like exercise. Like if you're going to run a marathon, you decide I'm going to run a marathon and you've never run before. You don't go out tomorrow and try to run 26 miles. You'll, you'll kill yourself. But you say, what's a small step I can take now building up towards, I want my family to be dedicated to family discipleship, even if we've never done it before. But what you really pointed out, which is the root of what a lot of parenting in our stream, especially the Christian stream experience, is shame and guilt based on what we see as maybe regret or failure in our hearts. And so we beat ourselves up or we do nothing for the fear that it will, we will fail or have failed. And in the scripture, when when Christ shares the gospel, the response he wants from sharing what you should do or who you are in your identity is never so. Here's how you should first feel bad about yourself. Here's how you should first beat yourself up before you come to the Father. But rather, it's this gracious story of celebration that no matter what mistakes you've made and there's no do-overs, hey, we're going to try again. And you're going to try again with confidence, not in you, but rooted in who your God is. And we have faith in your God, which means we believe he is capable of even using imperfect parents who are starting late or or made a lot of mistakes in order to do good things uh, for the kingdom of God in the hearts of children. Now, if you're starting to disciple an 18-year-old, man, it is not too late. It does start with repentance, but start small and let's go. But let's not resign ourselves to say, well, I, I missed it. Or the other one I hear really common his parents would say, but I made so many mistakes when I was their age. Who am I to tell them not to? Uh, they'll talk about this a lot when it's like drugs or dating or drinking. They'll say, well, I, when I was, I feel hypocritical to tell them I should, they shouldn't. It's like, no, you're experienced. You're exactly the person to tell them. Here are the mistakes mom and dad made when they were your age. 
And I'm praying the Lord would rescue you from that, prevent you from having to experience the same thing. And it's not that mom and dad are so impressive. It's that our God is so perfect and so gracious and so merciful and so full of joy and willing to forgive not only your kids, but the moms and dads who want to lead them. Yeah, that's so good. Um, What about um, just a discouraged parent of maybe a child who's just disinterested or just kind of cold to the things of faith? Um, What what would you say to to that parent? It is, I mean, it's easy to be discouraged in parenting. That's for sure. Our kids are resistant often and sometimes belligerent and sometimes defiant. And they are not going to want what's good for them, even though we know it. But we cannot, in light of resistance, give up. Uh, This is too important uh, to say, okay, fine, have it your way. Now, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean the parent is responsible for the salvation of the kid. If that were the case, if it was up to the quality of your parenting to save your child, no child would be saved because none of us can parent so well that we parent our kid right into heaven. That's just not the case. This is on the Lord's. We don't beat ourselves up. We trust that God is capable, that he takes us very seriously. Otherwise, he would not have sent his son to die for a person. I mean, that is a pretty serious, I mean, he takes the salvation of souls very seriously and sin very seriously, and his grace is very great. But it is so easy to be discouraged because sometimes it is, it's an uphill battle against a kid who doesn't want it. And that's why sometimes you're going to have to wisely determine, is this the ultimatum modem where I say, well, as long as I'm your parent, you're my son, you're living in this house, this is the way it's going to be. And do that in a gracious and kind manner, not in a uh, domineering, but in a, I would like to serve you in this way. And I believe this is the best way I can serve you type conversation where you respect a child as a human being, not as your property and say, it's an ultimatum. This is, this is who our family is, what we're going to do. Or is it the time to graciously invite them into it? Is I we are going to follow Christ together? Is there some version of this that you would prefer that you feel like I'm not thinking of? Are there some mistakes you think your mom and I are making that that you want to address in us? Because I can fully admit that we're not perfect people, and I'd love to own my own stuff as well. But it's going to be reciprocal. I want to share the same things with you. But oftentimes uh, we treat our kids like property instead of people. And that's, that's part of the reason we get discouraged is we expect them to do what we want them to do. And they are their own soul, but that doesn't mean we compromise what's important. Yeah, that's really, really good, Adam. Um, man, I just want to plug your book. And I wanted to say to the Vine Church, um, yeah, if you're in this parenting stage, um, or I mean any parent, or honestly, this links into the question I wanted to ask, like, Anybody, maybe you're not a parent, uh, maybe it's a grandparent or maybe it's somebody who's single, you know, they can still read this book because my conviction is that we are part of the spiritual family, the body of Christ. And I'd love to hear how you think about the body, how does the body of Christ and church membership fit into a household and family discipleship? That's great. Um, is there is there a, a role there that you think like there's overlap? I would assume you would say there's overlap, but I'll let you I won't put words in your mouth. <laughs> no, absolutely. And one clarifying thing too, I don't think sometimes we talk about family discipleship, we think about parents in authority over kids who are not in authority. When really family discipleship can also be kids saying, I want my parents to be saved. How do I think about discipleship in my own home? They could be your singles who are thinking about themselves as sons and daughters, but not yet fathers and mothers, or thinking about themselves as siblings, or it can be the singles who are getting together with each other. The framework that we use for family discipleship is the same framework you can use for any form of discipleship. When are we going to have set-aside time appointments? 
How are we going to do life together and just point to God as we do life together? How are we going to celebrate the big ones or be together even when it's the hardest? Those are things you do when you're a group of single guys living as roommates. Those are things you do when you're a spouse living with a spouse, but you don't have kids. So things you do as a grandparent. But to answer your question about the church, the church in general it has the responsibility together of teaching the next generation about who God is. It's uh, You have some form of kids ministry. It's volunteering in kids ministry. It's saying, hey, I'm invested in seeing uh, this large unreached people group, the kids of our congregation, come to know and follow him and walking alongside parents in doing that. Every parent would love a man or woman of integrity to step up alongside their kid and tell them the same things they're telling them about how good our God is in the same manner and respecting the parent's role. And that's what churches can provide is it's a body of Christ that goes far beyond just the parent's responsibility to the, the church's responsibility. And then in addition, like anytime you get up and preach, Zach, you're, you're discipling your congregation. And anytime you guys share in kids ministry with the kids, you're discipling that congregation. While we don't want that to be the only discipleship a family gets, it is an important aspect of what we're doing to disciple the next generation. Amen. Man, that'll preach. I appreciate your time, Adam, and um, we've probably taken enough of it, but I'd love to hear, are there um, other book projects in, in the works? What are you thinking about in terms of your you know, broader teaching ministry? That's a great question. I don't have another book next, although maybe one day. Uh, I think next, we're going to start a, a podcast starting in August. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Knowing Faith, uh, which is uh, Jen Wilkin, JT English, and Kyle Worley. They do a theology podcast uh, under a Training the Church umbrella. And so under Training the Church, we'll start a family discipleship podcast this fall, which will just focus on uh, a weekly podcast about spiritually leading your family. And so that's the next step is to kind of draw out some specifics from the book by showing what it looks like in different families and then talking about specific topics. How do you talk to your kids in a gospel lens about gender or about sexuality? How do you talk to your kids about whether or not they're ready to be baptized or what is a family worship look like in different households from different pastors or different kids ministers about how they train people? And so that's the next project we're working on. And I'm excited about that. Well, man, we're looking forward to that. So, um, and those are all topics we could spend the next two hours talking about. But let me ask you one more, because that just jarred a, one question, and we can maybe just close Come with on. this. Unless, James, you got more you want to get off your chest. You good? You're good, you're good. <laughs> um, you know, I'm 40, almost 45. Uh, how old are you, Adam? I'm 41. And James? 37. Yeah, doing the math in your head. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, give or take a few, uh, if the math is correct. But man, as you think about your childhood, you know, from zero to 10 or from 10 to 15 and, and what you're seeing now, do you think, think there's like differences in our culture and how kids are um, being discipled by the world versus yeah. the Bible that are different that parents need to be really dialed into or next gen teachers need to be dialed into or pastors um, or singles coming alongside families need to be dialed into when it comes to disciple, discipleship of, of kids. Um, are there any reflections or observations that you would have? Along yeah, 100 percent. I think things are, you know, some people want to say things have always been the same. And Ecclesiastes would say there's nothing new under the sun. And in, and in a lot of ways, that is absolutely, absolutely true. 
And, you know, you can, you can read, like, I think it's Aristotle that talks about the difficulty of teenagers, you know, 2000 years ago. And that's always been true. But what's different now is not necessarily the sin, but it's the way it manifests. And so when you give every kid a window to debauchery called an iPhone or a smartphone, it's like, they can just find whatever information you want. When I was a little kid, I was looking up dirty words in, in uh, encyclopedias, trying to figure out what they meant. Now, if you look up a dirty word, it's going to lead into a road of awful stuff. I mean, the, yeah, the prevalence sure. and the availability of pornography, mm-hmm. the different teachings in our culture when it comes to sexuality or when it comes to marriage, when it comes to uh, what we believe about the origins of mankind or what we believe about the destiny of mankind or what we believe about the purpose of mankind, it could not be more different. And it's increasingly so. And we're increasingly in a American culture. This is not new to the world, but it's newer to our American history, a culture that thinks that to be secular is to be an unbiased person and to be religious is to have a bias that needs to be kind of shunned and said, well, you can believe that, but it cannot affect who you are in the public sphere. You can't be a lawyer and a Christian. You can't be a counselor and a Christian. That's something you do on the side, you know, that's, that's your religion, but you have to be secular to be unbiased. And that's just that. I mean, that's uh, I could talk all day about how that's the root of all kinds of evil in this generation. And so we as parents, one of the most important things I think we talk about in that book is raising kids who are ready to be abnormal in a righteous way from this world. Uh, Jen Wilkin has this great example of it. I've heard her share several times where her kid came home from high school and said every one of his friends had a cell phone and he wanted a cell phone. And she said, you know, that feeling you feel right now where you feel left out and you feel different. And you're hoping that by telling your parents that it'll convince us to get you a phone. Let me tell you, son, it's actually that feeling that we're trying to cultivate in you. We want you to feel different. We want you to feel like everybody else is able to do something that you're not, because that is the Christian life in our culture right now, that you would feel ready to stand up for what you believe, even if the entire current is running opposite. And so how do we parent in such a way as Christians and disciple in such a way as Christians that we would say, if God has said it, I trust it. Even the culture says the opposite, that our definition of pornography would expand to all the things that our culture actually now just calls a show or just calls uh, a magazine and be like, no, this is to the Christian this is adultery. To the Christian, this is lust in the mind. To all the, the culture would call um, a wise investment, and we would call greed. We would call it, in the biblical sense, uh, hoarding, and we would call it storing up for yourself things that on earth that should be stored up in heaven. And we'd say, we're going to have a totally different mindset about, especially the two big I words in this culture is influence and identity. Like uh, this culture wants to root your identity and who you are attracted to. That's not, we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. We see that as a very temporary aspect of humanity, who you are attracted to and your influence. Who is, uh, who is speaking into your kids' minds? Obviously their peers are always going to be morons compared to God, but also uh, so is Netflix. So is uh, Disney. So is everything else. So helping them see it through the lens of the gospel, who is influencing your kids and where's their identity rooted those are going to be two incredibly important aspects that, yeah, the things around it will shift, but those will always be the same. But the things that are shifting now are different than the generation I grew up in. I didn't have to worry about a camera in the locker room when I was a kid. It would have driven me crazy. I didn't have to worry about a record of every stupid thing I thought when I was 13 years old. And these kids have to worry about that. And I didn't, uh, uh, I didn't have pictures of all my classmates barely wearing anything. And that would have driven my mind to crazy places when I was a kid. 
And that's where they are at now is they are, man, from a very young age being influenced by things that we would call evil. Wow. So I guess homeschool only. That's kind of what we're doing, right? No, I'm just totally other, kidding. Just that's lock, a yourself, joke. lock yourself in the basement. That's all that's, we got, guys. That's a joke. We <laughs> celebrate lots of different forms of educating kids at the Vine, and everyone knows that, so don't write me messages on Slack. Uh, send um, them to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Adam, it's been a, a joy. Um, everything you've said has has been really, really helpful, and I know for a fact that this podcast is going to bless all those that listen to it. So, man, may the Lord continue to bless your ministry and uh, hopefully more writing and more podcasting. And so we just uh, wish you nothing but the best. And uh, thanks for giving us an hour of your time today. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, much love, brother. All right, man, we'll see you. Bye.